host has spent decades studying the Bible in the original languages. He holds degrees from the University of Wisconsin, Moody Bible Institute, Asbury Theological Seminary, and Bethel Theological Seminary. With the help of some of his friends, in 1994, Dr. Rako founded a national volunteer ministry to hunters. He is an author, dog trainer, and speaker. Tom served as a full-time pastor for 36 years. Now here is your host, Dr. Tom Rako. Is it biblical for a Christian to take up hunting? Welcome to the Rock Dove Publications Quill. During today's program, we'll be addressing that issue from my book, Hunting in the Bible, a Scripture Safari. You'll also hear a reading by Dr. Mercy Sharp from the book, Devotions for Dog Lovers. I hope that you enjoy today's program. An Invisible Dog Scripture reading, Matthew 6, 25-34 The sign stuck in the ground cautioned, Beware of dog. Even though my friend was a caring, generous, and well-liked individual, he never fed his dog. Never. In fact, over the years that I knew him, I seriously doubt that he fed it even once. Despite this, my friend's best friend never bit anyone. Still, the mere thought of a vicious dog running around the corner of some building with teeth bared would make anyone cautious. However, no one even caught so much as a glimpse of this mangy mongrel. That's right, and there is a good reason why. You see, the dog was invisible. It never existed. The beware of dog sign was intended to serve as a sort of deterrent. Like a radio that's purposely left on overnight, Lights programmed to come on even when a homeowner is out of town, or a well-placed placard that reads, No Trespassing, this Beware of Dog sign was meant to ward off unwanted intruders. Now, of course, in most cases, a Beware of Dog sign means just that, Beware of Dogs. So, if there is some unscrupulous thief who's reading this and has begun to think they will start robbing homes with Beware of Dog signs, you might want to seriously consider another line of business. That is, unless you enjoy being bitten by mean dogs, or you have taken it upon yourself to determine the exact degree to which beware of dog signs are accurate. Most of our worries are like that, particular beware of dog sign. Indeed, worrisome thoughts generally threaten us of some possible tragedy or personal loss. In reality, there is no substance to the vast majority of these worries. Most of what we worry about never materializes. This has even been borne out by recent scientific studies. Unfortunately, worries far too often shape how we live our lives. Like the man who, after having heard that most car accidents happen within 25 miles from home, moved. So we either step out of God's perfect will in order to avoid some unpleasant situation or, worse yet, never step out of our comfort zone and into God's will at all. We cower in a prison of fear rather than live out a life of faith. Even so, the Bible warns, Without faith it is impossible to please God. Hebrews 11.6 And again, But my righteous one will live by faith. If he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. Hebrews 10.38 You see, Jesus Christ classified worry as a behavior that prevents 
some people from genuinely grasping the gospel message. In the parable of the soils, Jesus explained that the seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. Luke 8.14 Worry robs us. Worry makes us unfruitful. The Lord Jesus Christ made it clear that worry is not God's will for our lives. He told his hearers, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not your life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Matthew 6.25 When we worry, we are doing what the Lord has clearly told us not to do. Worry is not only doubting God's goodness toward us, it is clearly an attitude and act of disobedience contrary to the word of God. Worry is ungodly behavior. Furthermore, we also know that worry is useless and doesn't make any sense. That's why Jesus asked, Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? Matthew 6.27 Worrying is a waste of both time and energy. Yes, the worries that come our way are like beware of dog signs that warn of invisible dogs, dogs that don't exist. May God help us not to be afraid of these transparent critters. The Lord wants us to step out in faith and accomplish incredible things. Let's not be afraid of invisible dogs. After all, invisible dogs also have invisible teeth. Prayer Father, Remove the fears that prevent me from following you. May my life be filled to overflowing with faith in you. Jesus' name, amen. You can learn more about the book that tells this true story and others. For example, find out how dogs in Bible times were used to fulfill specific prophecies. Discover how some dogs with disabilities did some amazing things. Hear how a dog collected money for orphans. Learn about the first canine to be launched into outer space. Gain insight as to how God is using dogs in our world today, and much more. To order your copy of Devotions for Dog Lovers, go to the Rock Dove Publications website at www.rockdove.com. Again, to get your copy of Devotions for Dog Lovers, visit rockdove.com. Should a Christian hunt ever be smick prescribed in the Dictionary of Christian Ethics that when it comes to hunting, quote, the Christian must find an answer that centers around God's purpose in putting animals on the earth. God's command that Adam and Eve multiply and subdue the earth, Genesis 1.28, was not an invitation to destroy nature, unquote. Indeed, the biblical definition of dominion involves both accountability and responsibility. Again, in the Dictionary of Christian Ethics, Smick clarifies the relationship that exists between humans and other creatures by stating that it was God who, quote, subordinated the animals to man and gave man a responsibility toward them which was similar to God's relationship to us. That responsibility was to care for them as God cared. But as God may use all his creation to his own glory in the context of his good and holy nature, 
so a man use the animals, but with responsibility, unquote. Without a doubt, the Bible makes it clear that humans are distinct from the rest of creation. According to the Bible, humans alone are made in the image of God, Genesis 1.27. This, in my mind, coupled with the Lord's permission concerning other creatures found in Genesis 9.3, is a major and pivotal point when it comes to legitimizing the practice of hunting. Of course, this also requires an obedience to those human-made laws which are not clearly in contradiction to the law of God. There is also the need for the proper treatment of game after it has been harvested. The scriptures would seem to indicate that when a hunter is granted the opportunity to harvest an animal or bird, they should exhibit a humble and grateful attitude, recognizing such provision is ultimately from God. The fact is, a hunting reformation is needed. Although many hunters may not be willing to admit it, hunting in general is in need of a reformation. In the words of outdoor writer George Riger, who wrote an article titled My Brother's Keeper in a 1990 issue of Field and Stream magazine, he said this, quote, Sadly, sporting standards have suffered decline in recent years. Too many hunters and fishermen have come to judge behavior by what the law allows and view their licenses as shopping lists which they must fill, unquote. Indeed, it is not simply the violation of game laws that has helped create a negative image of hunting and hunters. Even the attempt in recent years by members of the hunting community to educate and impress upon hunters the need to strictly adhere to game laws has failed to solve all the problems. Riger goes on to point out, quote, Unfortunately, the shifting standards from is it right to is it legal adds to the erosion of sporting principles overall, unquote. While it's certainly important to submit the game laws, Riger is correct in saying that a commitment to the letter of the law does not automatically legitimize a hunter's behavior. The fact is a large percentage of the hunting community, as well as professing Christians in the United States, have failed to realize the significant role Christianity has played and continues to play with regard to hunting. Many hunters of the past, not just those who lived in Bible times, have been influenced either directly or or indirectly, by the truths found in the Bible. For example, some states have continued to grapple with the issue of Sunday hunting. The influence of the biblical concept of the Sabbath when such a game law was initially established seems obvious. Nevertheless, the Judeo-Christian worldview as it relates to hunting cannot be confined to a single day of the week. The influence of biblical teaching or principles upon American culture are much deeper and wider than has been generally assumed. For example, author Joe Bagent, who has frequently identified himself with an extremely liberal view and, and various liberal causes, recognizes this reality. Indeed, he sees what many modern-day Christians have not. Bagent pointed out in his book, Deer Hunting with Jesus, quote, the link between Protestant fundamentalism and deer hunting goes back to colonial times, when the restless Presbyterian Scots, along with the English and German Protestant reformers, pushed across America, developing the unique hunting and farming-based frontier cultures that sustained them over most of America's history, unquote. Many of these early pioneers may have fallen short when it comes to applying some of the biblical principles to their hunting practices. 
Nevertheless, the basis of their taking of an animal's life and their attitudes toward wanton waste or gratitude expressed for such provisions has its foundation in a biblical belief system. The fact is, today, there needs to be an increased level of awareness among hunters that there exists a much deeper level of accountability than a Department of Natural Resources person or any other government official who may or may not be present. As one game warden remarked in my presence while discussing the vast areas that most wardens must cover as a part of their regular duties, he said, quote, When it comes right down to it, what you do in the field is between you and God, unquote. Of course, the relevance of Paul's admonition for the Christians in Rome to submit to the governing authorities is apparent. Romans chapter 13, verses 1 to 7. But there may be times when this, in and of itself, is not adequate. In those instances, we need to respond to scriptural principles and standards instead of human measurements of conduct. See, views about nature and hunting need a reformation. The attitudes of those who participate in the hunt are not the only ones who are in need of significant reformation and transformation. Anti-hunters and certain non-hunters often treat or view members of the hunting community with great disdain. In many instances, it would be hard to imagine animal rights activists ever treating a dog, cat, or even a rat with the disrespect they often openly verbalize toward other human beings, in particular hunters. For example, some time ago, I received a rather venomous message from a young woman. And it should be pointed out that notes similar to this are quite common. It is not an isolated case. I want to include her message because it conveys the kind of self-righteous attitude that many animal rights activists and others opposed to hunting frequently express. Although she was a total stranger to me, she wrote this, quote, Murderer. You are not living in the frontier days when it was necessary to kill for food. I don't even know why I should bother talking sense into a redneck like yourself. You probably use deer hunting as a cover to go molest small animals in the woods, like most hunters. I just find it incredibly sad that you feel the need to torture animals that pose absolutely no threat to you or your family. Rest assured that you will go to hell for the crimes against nature you are committing. Unquote. You see, the reality is the world around us has fallen. Every animal, every human being has been affected by this. The fact of the matter is, there are many in our modern world who desire to convince the general public that if hunting were outlawed, the suffering and death of animals would be forever vanquished. These individuals evidently envision a type of misty wonderland suddenly being ushered into existence. In this wildlife wonderland, no baby bird ever falls from its nest, and no carnivore cares to gnaw on another creature's carcass. Indeed, it is a utopia where death itself has died and all disease is permanently denied admission. Now, admittedly, images of humans being able to engineer such a perfect place on this planet makes for fine fiction. However, such unrealistic thinking fails to fit with our fallen world. Like it or not, we live in a world which has experienced death ever since the Garden of Eden and will continue to experience it until Christ returns. We are constantly being confronted with varying degrees of death, disease, and decay all around us. Although for some it may be a hard truth to swallow, nature can be, and presently is, incredibly brutal. 
The world in which we and all wildlife are immersed is not what it once was. Ever since the events recorded in Genesis chapter 3, our world has been radically altered. And although some may make every effort to put nature back on its pre-fall track, this transformation will ultimately require God's sovereign intervention. We see the reverse of the fall is in the future. Of course, as humans, the fall does not excuse us from our responsibility to help alleviate or even attempt to eradicate various forms of suffering. We should certainly do all that is humanly possible. Most of us are grateful for vaccinations, medications, and advancement in medical technology. Unfortunately, we humans with our limited knowledge, imperfect motives, and short-sighted plans have often done more damage than we have good. For example, the medical field periodically learns years later that a certain drug which initially helped individuals with a particular physical ailment also unknowingly adversely affected the heart, liver, or another vital organ of the body. In other instances, we have either protected or eliminated one species of animal or bird to the detriment of another species. According to the Bible, the world in which we live will never be totally and permanently changed until the creator of the universe steps in to do so. It is then that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay, Romans 8.21. It is the Lord himself, not humans, who will bring such a peaceful world into existence. Only then can a passage like that of Isaiah chapter 11 be fulfilled, which states, The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear, their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the hole of the cobra, and the young child put his hand into the viper's nest. Isaiah 11, verses 6 to 8. At the present time, such behavior in our world is, for the lack of a better term, unnatural. If you don't believe this to be the case, it seems that a little experiment would be enough to prove the point. Just stick a wolf, a lamb, a leopard, goat, calf, lion, cow, bear, and a few poisonous snakes, let's leave the little child out, into a grass-filled enclosure for a period of time. Although I'm not a betting man, I would be willing to wager that there will be fewer creatures alive in the pen at the end of a week than there were initially. Still, some animal rights activists evidently think they can suppress the predatoriness or aggression between the species. They have been known to insist on forcing their dogs and cats to adopt a vegetarian diet. Of course, there are times on an individual or small group basis when pets or wild creatures and all sorts of crawling things can be conditioned to do that which is contrary to their natural instinct. Yet such conditioning is just that, conditioning and not transformation. In some instances, I think this would be viewed as animal cruelty. The nature of the beast, or creature if you must, is never really changed. This is true no matter how much steamed broccoli a dog is fed or how many baths one gives a female pig. Alas, in the end, the dog eventually returns to its vomit and the pig goes back to its wallowing in the mire. When we come back, I'll have some closing remarks. What does the Bible have to say about hunting? In Hunting in the Bible, a scripture safari by Dr. Tom Rako, find out how people hunted in Bible times 
learn about the existence of ancient hunting lists, acquire a knowledge of the scriptures with regards to God's concern for both animals and birds, discover specific hunting regulations found in the Old Testament, gain insight into what the scriptures have to say concerning modern-day hunting practices, and much more. This book will help you to become an expert in knowing what the Bible has to say about hunting. To order your copy of Hunting in the Bible, a scripture safari, go to the RockGov Publications website, rockgov.com. Visit rockgov.com today. Well, as we've been looking at what the Bible has to say about hunting, we see that one of the major distinctions is that humans have been made in the image of God. We see that hunting is in need of a reformation, uh, and the Judeo-Christian value system has strongly influenced the hunting world, even if it's not consciously recognized by many. The anti-hunting and non-hunting communities also need a reformation in that we often see humans who are made in the image of God, whether they're a hunter or a non-hunter, deserve to be viewed as being made in the image of God. And uh, many have an unrealistic view of how the created world should function. It's almost a fanciful view. Well, next time we'll be looking at more of what the Bible has to say about hunting. I hope that you'll join us again. been listening to the Rock Dove Publications podcast with your host, Dr. Tom Rinko. This program has also been brought to you by the Quilted Arrow, home of intelligent, stylish, field-bred English pointers with bloodline streams from Hall of Fame champion Guardrail. Thank you so much for listening. Now this is Beth Rinko inviting you to join us again next time on the Rock Dove Publications podcast. <music>